Welcome to the Sales Prospector Show, supported by Lease, a sales rep, ending 5,000 company, helping our clients grow sales by securing guaranteed appointments, qualified leads, and guaranteed contracts for their services and products across the U.S. I'm your host, Gil Pagan. You can find us on all social media channels and at leaseasalesrep.com. Thank you for listening in. It's going to be a great one today. Oh, I'm excited uh, to be chatting today uh, on this uh, episode of the Sales Prospector Show with Justin Helmig. He is the Chief Marketing Officer, CMO, if you will, of LifeOMIC. Uh, they have a health and wellness kind of company with apps and websites and all this kind of great stuff. And uh, it's a hot spot right now, um, given uh, everyone's concerned about their health and longevity and now particularly when we're doing this episode in the midst of COVID, uh, people need to get out and uh, take care of themselves and exercise. So welcome to the show, Justin. Thanks, Gil. I appreciate it. Looking forward to our, our chat today and want to uh, uh, chat a little bit about you and um, you know, how uh, you landed where you landed and a quick backstory. And let's see uh, um, how long that takes us. And let's get through kind of your background. Um, from what I see, it's fascinating uh, what you, you've been doing and how you landed um, at where you are right now at this company. I like to say that uh, we're in uh, Raleigh uh, today, uh, North mm -hmm. Carolina. Uh, so this is being broadcast from there. We're both in the same city uh, uh, and we're, we're chatting uh, live here, at least at this point uh, on this podcast. So uh, take it away, Justin. Tell us about you and you give us that quick backstory. Yeah, sure. So uh, long career journey. I uh, started as an engineer, a software engineer in the late 90s uh, at a company called Qualcomm before it was a household name. Uh, gradually moved over to marketing, go-to-market side uh, throughout my career. Um, Lifeomics kind of an interesting story, and I'll get to that in just a second. Uh, but I've been here for getting on three years. Uh, I actually worked with our founder and CEO at his last company uh, where I was CMO, CMO briefly before our acquisition. So we got acquired in late 2016 for about a billion and a half dollars uh, from a company named Genesis. Uh, he immediately started Lifeomic right on the heels of that. I went off and did another venture for about a year and then had the opportunity to join him in early 2018. So it's been a super exciting ride for uh, getting on again three years now. Wow, that's great. So, so you had a company that was acquired, uh, and um, and the company right now um, uh, is it is it private equity? Is it uh, equity funded right now? It's like you know, tell us about that. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting model. Uh, so it's the same playbook uh, Don ran with Interactive back in the mid '90s. His previous company uh, were self funded. Uh, which gives us a lot of latitude in terms of the business and product opportunities that we pursue. So uh, it's kind of, a, again, a, an interesting approach. We don't have a formal board of directors. We don't have uh, monthly targets. It's really been all around building good quality products, understanding the market, uh, and making sure those two things mesh. And so far, uh, we've grown tremendously well over the last three years in all aspects of our business. Uh, we actually started a, a 
spinoff company called Jupiter One, uh, grew that um, and ended up just selling that to Bain Capital. So that was kind of our first victory there. And uh, again, the rest of our business is now kind of focused uh, more on the healthcare precision health and wellness space, um, which is growing tremendously. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we love the healthcare space. As you know, we play in there and we sell into that vertical and and the like, and it's a growing industry, as you know, for various reasons. Uh, and um, obviously, you're, you're playing there. When we initially spoke, um, uh, you know, we talked about wearables and, and things like that. And that's the, the, for the people who are listening, our audience, that's the Fitbits of the world that track your, your, your walking and your calories and your sleep patterns and things like that. And uh, you, you guys are, are somewhat different um, in, in that aspect. Uh, share a little bit about uh, what the company does and the two products. I mean, you got the mobile app part, which is fascinating. I was chatting with you online, uh, offline about you know, downloading that and I haven't done it yet. Uh, I would like to and kind of get back into the exercise because of COVID, right? Uh, the COVID-15 and I want to get back into eating right and exercising like, and you got a website as well, kind of that stuff kind of integrates. So uh, share a little bit about, uh, about how all this works and how it affects us. Um, uh, our, in, our, in our daily life. Yeah, it's a really interesting backstory. So we got our start. Uh, we developed the Precision Health Cloud, uh, which is a cloud data aggregation analytics platform. Uh, we started really working on the precision medicine space specifically in cancer. Uh, so we were working with researchers and clinicians uh, at uh, medical schools and uh, hospital systems providers um, to really help them develop personalized treatments for very aggressive and hard to treat cancers. Wow. Uh, so we would be able to take genomic data. So when you sequence your DNA uh, for both the tumor as well as your body. Uh, and combine that with clinical data, so kind of their healthcare record data over time. And those two things together were tremendously informing in terms of really developing, again, these very effective and uh, personalized treatments. So we got into this, we signed the largest medical school in the country, in Indiana University School of Medicine. Um, and really, as we got into it, we really felt like there was a uh, this missing tentacle. So there's, of course, mobile apps uh, tailored to patients that have been around for quite a while now, but they just took a very take type approach. It was all about taking data from patients. They weren't engaging. They weren't something that, that patients were using on a day-to-day -day basis. So what we did was we, we started with a blank sheet of paper, totally flipped, um, took a single use case. Uh, we chose intermittent fasting. It's something that's getting uh, a lot of research dollars, a lot of publicity uh, around not just weight loss benefits, but other uh, metabolic benefits. Um, so we took that single use case and used that as a hypothesis testing platform. Can we build an application where we can acquire users? We can help them make positive behavioral changes as it, it comes to their health. We can use a social feature in the application called circles and use all of those things to drive better prevention and wellness, uh, independent of kind of this, this big data, very complex platform. Mm -hmm. So we launched our first version of the application, very much a soft launch, just on iPhone in May of 2018, uh, started to get some really good initial traction. So we went back to the drawing board and kind of took two different paths. One is we reported onto a technology where we could do both Android and iOS. We could get, you know, virtually 100% of the smartphone market. Um, and then two, we started on a more holistic wellness application based on five pillars of health. So in addition to intermittent fasting, uh, we added nutrition, activity, sleep, and mindfulness or stress busting. 
Um, so we launched our Android version and kind of went through a more formal launch of the fasting app of December 2018, uh, and it blew through the roof in 2019. Uh, we also launched, uh, in conjunction with a population health initiative, uh, also in the state of Indiana called All In, our more holistic wellness application, Life Extend, in mid-2019. Um, and that application's done phenomenally well. So we have uh, just north of two and a half million users around the world uh, for our mobile apps. Uh, we also have a companion consumer-oriented uh, health content website called lifeapps.io, so L-I-F-E-A-P-P-S.io, um, that provides health and wellness content, all science-backed, um, all reviewed, uh, but in a more consumer-friendly way. Um, and uh, that's grown into actually a respectable media site in and of itself. So um, that side of the business has been phenomenal, and we're really starting to pull those two sides together, both working with um, researchers and hospital systems again uh, to leverage this audience that we've built up for life, uh, the life apps, the mobile apps, uh, and help this be like a whole health continuum solution where we can focus more upstream on prevention and wellness, but also have uh, a system and methodology that can help uh, when people either get chronic or acute illnesses. It's interesting that your business model um, kind of you know, you kind of flip the script a little bit where most of the uh, health apps, if you will, um, uh, and wearables and the like are tracking data. And that data, when it's connected to a provider or a health system, is pulled into a health record EMR uh, to and, and kind of like the give, give, give what you talk about, you know, from the or get, get, get from the patient. Uh, and that information gets pulled into the record and Clearly, the business model for the technology provider in that sense is that they are selling that software platform to the health system to get data on their patients, pull that into the medical record, and then ideally you can control and make suggestions to the patient about eating and exercising, you know, tracking um, uh, BP and weight and all that kind of stuff. You're, you, you, you are on the flip side that you built an app and built an audience around like this app. So you kind of got consumers to download this app. And now you have all these people on the platform. So I'm trying to understand the business model. The other one is real clear to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you sell this to the, to the healthcare provider, they pay, they, they put their patients on it clear. Yours, you're building this. Now you got 2 billion people, let's say. And like, what do you do with this? Like, where's the business model? Where's the money being made? That's what, so I went right there with you, buddy. Yeah, no, it's the same business model. So, oh, okay. Okay, yeah, so we, uh, we're a software as a subscription business uh, for our Precision Health Cloud platform. Mm -hmm. uh, again, we license that into academic research institutions and uh, healthcare providers. Mm -hmm. um, the direct-to-consumer side gives us a couple of different axes. One is um, consumers are hard. So there is nothing saying that you can go or not go and download our application from the app store. There's nothing saying you can leave us an awful snarky undeserved review uh, and one star uh, rating. Um, it happens. It happens. Yeah, it does. And there's nothing saying that you're not going to download the app and sign up for it and immediately delete it. So I think that forces a lot of discipline on us. Um, when people leave lousy reviews, I mean, it's something that we all read and it's something that we all really take to heart and really strive to improve. 
And I think when you're just focused on licensing enterprise software to these big institutions, the consumer side just naturally becomes kind of not as much of a priority. So you may not be focused on the end patient experience as much as making sure that your end customer is renewing on a year-by-year basis or uh, either in a SaaS model or um, you know, signing support and maintenance and, and not integrating you out in a uh, on-prem model. So for us, I think it's a great opportunity to really instill a lot of user-focused or patient-focused discipline. Uh, we also do monetize that, that user base to a little bit. We, um, we have integrations, as you mentioned, to wearables like Fitbit and Garmin, uh, Aura Ring and some others. So we do have relationships with them, affiliate relationships with them uh, when you buy things through our app. Uh, we do have kind of a premium offering for a few dollars a month. You unlock uh, some really nice premium features called Life Plus. Um, and then early next year, uh, January 1st, we'll be rolling out a personal wellness program. It's so a kind of a 52-week, uh, fairly intensive program for those that have started to use the app and make these positive behavioral changes and are really ready to take it to the next level. Um, so that's what we'll use to actually monetize the direct-to-consumer base as well. I got you. So from a more of a uh, granular implementation perspective at the health system level. So we're in a health system, let's say in the Pennsylvania, New Jersey market. Um, one of our locations out there, we're in a health system out there has 15 hospitals, right? Um, so that um, the, your platform would be sold into that institution, let's say, um, and, uh, and then take us through how that becomes reality and how that gets to the patient and gets to the consumer to get the data to make this all worthwhile an investment for the health institution. Take us through that kind of like mechanics operationally of what that looks like. Yeah, great question. So when we engage with the healthcare system, uh, they'll get a specific download link. And what that will do when you as an inpatient click the link on your mobile device is if you have our life extend application installed on your device, it will join you to that organization. So typically a healthcare system. Um, if you don't, it will take you to the appropriate download page on either uh, Google Play or Apple App Store, um, walk you through the download process, the sign up process, and then automatically join you to that organization. So, so when you join- Yeah, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt. Yep. So uh, I'm gonna interrupt a little bit as we go through the mechanics. Yes, yeah, sure. Download, download, I'm a patient at this hospital system in, in, uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. I, I get this link, I download it. I don't have the app, I download it. I register, I guess, by email, phone, however mm -hmm. it's gonna happen. Now I got the app, I'm active, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, what happens then after I get, I'm, I'm active with this health system uh, and the app, what happens? Yeah, so um, you consent to giving your information to the healthcare system, just like you would consent when you go into a doctor's office. Right, right. Uh, at that point, any information that you're tracking in the application, either through your wearable device uh, or through the application directly, uh, will automatically go into a single repository for you. So Gill's single repository in this healthcare system in Pennsylvania, New Jersey area. Uh, and that data can be overlaid with other data. So if you go into the doctor's office uh, and they take a blood draw and look at biomarkers, all that data will be in your, that single record for you. Uh, all of your historical healthcare data that comes from the electronic medical record or EHR system can be integrated in. Any genomics testing, any wow. imaging, all of that data is integrated in. 
And I think where, where we also really see opportunity is we are very much in the U.S. stuck in this diagnose and treat healthcare system, right? And, and it's the same for me. It's probably the same for you. I don't go to my doctor, but once a year for a physical and when I'm sick. Right. And there's tremendous opportunity if we're going to change and, and really revolutionize healthcare as it's delivered here in the U.S., we have to focus more on prevention and wellness. So by using a prevention and wellness application like LifeExtend and then being able to overlay that data with true healthcare data, um, now all of a sudden we can look at somebody's whole continuum. So hopefully we're keeping people healthier longer, uh, something we kind of internally, I, I love this term, uh, we didn't invent it by any stretch, but we call it health span, which is, you know, what is not just your lifespan, because mm -hmm. the last couple of years of your life might be pretty miserable, but what's your health span? So if I can drop dead at, a hundred years old uh, while hiking in the mountains of Western North Carolina, uh, healthy, like that's not a bad outcome by any stretch. Mm -hmm. And my burden on the healthcare system in that type of case is likely to be much, much lower. And the quality of life I had is, is likely to be much, much better. Wow. So when you're, when you have this relationship developed with the system and the patient goes into, let's say an affiliated doctor's office, not at the hospital level, but you know, in the, in the community, and they're part of that system, and they go in for that examination, that blood draw. It's all already connected to their system. My app, um, you know, the EMR. It's all it's all connected, and I get that stuff right here on my phone. And you guys take care of all that back office stuff. Um, so the I'm curious that the uh, we're going to get into a little bit of technology. You you were software software guy right before you became a CMO. So you know the the um, the back end implementation of this at the hospital level. Uh, what does that look like? To are we talking about a hospital gets a link and is downloaded onto their server and, and then they they blast it out to patients? Or you got to go in there and do kind of coding and help and then do the EMR integration, the API. Help me to understand. I, I, I might go a little bit in the weeds here, but the technology stuff is like, how do you do this from a implementation perspective at the institutional level? It's a mess. So right now oh, we have okay. very poor interoperability of healthcare data. And that's um, where, you know, here in Raleigh, Durham, you can go to Duke Health, uh, which is on Epic uh, for their EMR. Epic you can go healthcare. to, you know, Rex Hospital as an emergency, which is UNC Healthcare. Yeah. And those two systems don't talk to each other, despite the underlying vendors the same in both cases, Epic. So um, there is a mega trend in the U.S. and certainly regulation is helping this along. Um, but we're still a long, long ways away from data interoperability. So in an ideal world, and there's actually, I saw I saw was over speaking uh, at a Roche event in uh, Germany before the, the pandemic late last year. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had a speaker from, and I can't remember the country, but it was a small uh, Northeastern European country and a few hundred thousand people. So, you know, it was kind of a small and manageable thing. And they had this complete unified data layer across all of their population, everything from healthcare to tax records. And it was just this total utopian view. Now we have over 300 million people in the U S so it's, you know, right. and it's a much, much larger country. So it's, you know, it's a very different situation, but ultimately hearing this, this gentleman speak and talking about kind of this utopian view, we'll eventually get there, but we're a long ways from there. So to answer your question, um, we do integrate with EMRs. Uh, it is hard. It is messy. It's labor intensive. We generally will work with the IT department uh, at the healthcare provider to pull in the appropriate data for the appropriate patients. 
Um, but there's no silver bullet there. And, you know, even like my family's doctor's office has been on a, a EMR system for many years, which is great because I can go and, um, you know, look in their portal and, and see all my physical results for the last 10 years, which is unusual for a small family doctor's office. Oh. But again, if I go in, uh, if I go and break my collarbone today and go into UNC Rex Hospital, they have no notion of any health history uh, for me ever. So, you know, again, I think it's, it's a meta problem. Uh, we're solving it on a provider by provider, provider basis. We have a great integration framework or integration service that we built into our platform, our cloud platform. Um, but it's still, you know, there's no silver bullet in, in electronic medical record integration. Wow. So you'll, you'll close a client, let's say on the West coast, um, um, or let's say New, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and mm -hmm. you'll fly out there with your implementation team, I guess your tech people and meet with the IT department and mm -hmm. kind of, let's see how do we make this thing work and troubleshoot and kick the bugs out and kind of do it on a piece by piece kind of basis. Okay. It's working now. It's good yeah. uh, because everything is so different. Right. Uh, and the hospitals are on, some of them are an old system. Some of them are more newer systems. So, uh, so it's, it's a, a, a location by location, I guess, effort to implement. Right. So when, when, um, when the patient is looking at the data, um, I would assume the patient sees certain types of data in their app. What is the, uh, on the provider level, uh, what do they see? Like, uh, you know, on, are they seeing pie charts and graphs and mm -hmm. like um, uh, for individual patient, I can go in and see that. I can see the, the global uh, patients that in my 45 to 55 year range, these guys are, you know, eating too much, not exercising and overweight. <laughs> you know, yeah. So help us, how does that look like on a data reporting perspective? Exactly as you described it. Okay. So we okay. have, uh, yeah, so we have a cloud platform again. Uh, we have a UI on that platform that will show you individual data. So I can look at interface. Right. Yeah, exactly. Gill's data. Right. Uh, super easy for um, either the IT team or even the clinician themselves to configure. It's all kind of point and click to see what data from the available data set you want to display in which dashboard. Um, so really, really easy to do that customization. And then we also have uh, population or cohort level uh, aggregate data. So I can, you know, look at any breakdown. I can look at what percentage of, you know, men between 45 and 55 have been diagnosed with a particular cancer and are overweight and pre-diabetic um, super easily and create all these graphs interactively. Um, so that's the typical clinician level view. We also work with research um, so in that case, there's these incredible data science ecosystem of tools. Um, so Jupyter Notebook is uh, a very common uh, notebook for data scientists. Uh, we can actually run Jupyter Notebook in our cloud platform. So it runs adjacent to the data, uh, co-located with the data, um, and just spin up an instance of Jupyter Notebook. It can use uh, things called GPUs or graphical processing units, which are these super powerful processors. Uh, originally started in kind of uh, video cards for gaming, um, but are highly applicable and useful for data science, machine learning, artificial type algorithm development and running those. So we can do uh, the research side as well. Uh, and that gives you literally a notebook where you can write uh, Python or R or any number of languages uh, and execute it right on the data, which is super cool. and It's been very well received um, by the research side of our business. Um, you bring up a very interesting point that kind of raised a, um, a question for me. 
the um, the sharing of information mm -hmm. that is on the portal and that's on the mobile app uh, and how that is shared with the institution mm -hmm. um, and uh, concerns that people have about data security and privacy, HIPAA, yeah. uh, and that information getting into the wrong hands. First of all, from just cyber issues, uh, you know, so, you know the, the attacks and taking that information, one, but two, that the insurance company somehow gets a hold of that information yeah. of the patient and now the patient uh, is paying a higher premium because now insurance has access to that information. Talk to us about that. Kind of, I, I anticipate your response, but talk to us about what that looks like because I'd be concerned, quite frankly, about cyber. I, I, I know a couple of our hospitals that we sell into got hit um, with, you know, with, uh, with the ransomware and stuff mm -hmm. like that. They shut down systems and everything. That's one issue. The other issue is the insurance uh, premiums being raised and jacked up because of they got access to data. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so I'll peel it off into two. So on the cyber side, um, this is all EPHI or electronic personal health information. So kind okay. of the, the most important of the most important and needs to be the most secure of the most secure. Mm -hmm. So um, out of the gates, we hired a CISO uh, who actually came from Fidelity Investments mm -hmm. um, and took a very lifomic approach. So this is, uh, this is really manifest from our founder and his background, which is um, he loves automation and would rather put software engineers on automation uh, than people uh, looking through logs, which is kind of the traditional mantra of security. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, I affectionately call to it, call it uh, B robots instead of, or um, build robots instead of B robots. Yeah. And so we ended up build, building this very novel security framework um, that uh, it was highly automated to really do security protection and monitoring. Um, we started kind of socializing this with just other people in the industry, friends, family, um, did a paper and a presentation at a security conference and kind of kept hearing the same thing, which is, well, how do I do that or how do I buy that? So in 2018, we actually productized that almost exactly two years ago from when we we're recording this. Uh, we launched our first version in September 2018, uh, super well received by the industry. So companies like Reddit and HashiCorp. Um, and Auth0 use this for their security operations. Um, so we ended up growing that business pretty substantially. Um, it was always a little bit of an outlier, very different customer base. Uh, so we had the opportunity to divest that business and sold it. So I think that's uh, to Bain Capital and that closed in August of 2000, uh, 2020. So, you know, I think that really has been a huge credibility booster to say, mm -hmm. hey, we took a very serious approach from day, day one uh, we built our own tooling because we didn't feel like there was anything in the market that was going to hit the same level of automation and security that we were demanding of ourselves to protect mm -hmm. our customers' data. Uh, and by the way, that worked so well, we ended up selling it to all these, you know, cloud native enterprise class companies. I mean, that, that shows our approach is, is pretty unique and has worked out really well for us. Uh, we have, um, so we sold that business off. We have a current CISO who's just a rock star. She was actually on a billboard at RSA, which is the largest uh, security conference in San Francisco uh, on the side of the road, right near um, the conference center. So, you know, again, I think that vouches for how seriously we've always taken security um, because it is, it's a cloud platform with, with personal health information. So it has yeah. a big red target on the side of it. So we have to be super, super cautious with that. So I feel, and, you know, having gone through security reviews with, uh, major healthcare providers around the country, um, you know, I feel that our security is, 
you know, as tough, tight as you're going to get, more so than almost every hospital has today. Uh, so I feel super confident going into customers and, and talking about uh, what security is at Lifefomic and how we prioritize that. So that's kind of one bucket, which is, you know, are we going to get attacked with ransomware attacks? Uh, you know, are we going to get hacked and information stolen? I think the other question is really good, which is what happens with data sharing? Mm -hmm. So um, we, again, invested, and this was, you know, I think kind of a combination of the team's past experience as well as what we were hearing from the market, um, but we invested in access controls from the very beginning that would allow collaboration, say, between research institutions, but very, very tight control of the data. So mm -hmm. in most cases, um, we actually don't have access to our, our customers' data uh, unless they explicitly grant us very short time delineated uh, access to, you know, maybe help them build a dashboard or help them debug an issue they're seeing or something like that. So, hmm. um, you know, we do sign BAAs, business associate agreements with every one of our healthcare customers, as you would expect from any, um, any software company. Uh, but more than that, we've really built in a lot of controls and, and train our customers on how to use those controls well. Um, so things like you said, your personal health information doesn't leak to an insurance company or doesn't leak to an employer that may uh, make inadvertent employee uh, employment decisions based on that data. So uh, and our healthcare providers, I mean, they, they understand this, too, and they take it very, very seriously and are you know, very diligent about understanding who has access to what data. No, that's good. That's a, a, a good um, comprehensive response on those those two points. I appreciate that. Um, when you're looking at your, um, your ideal clients, right, mm -hmm. the ones that based on your history uh, of, of, of being in the organization and the two, you know, two platforms, the web, the web part and the mobile app part, uh, which um, ones tend to be really good for you? Are you looking for the small community uh, hospital, let's say 300 beds in rural North Carolina or uh, you know, uh, Iowa, um, or uh, someone with thousands of patients um, because of the cost of the implementation and the data that's collected is better because you have a wider, um, I guess, a wider set of people to look at. So talk to us about your, your ideal profile for you guys and what you're doing. Yeah, I think one of the really unique things about cloud software, and certainly something we've embraced here, uh, as, as we have in the, our past jobs, uh, that have had to do with cloud as well is you can scale. So, you know, for us, our ideal customer isn't necessarily sized on the number of beds because we're not doing big, heavy implementations and, you know, installing servers on their premise or anything, but rather just their approach towards precision health. Um, so, you know, what we find is larger healthcare systems, healthcare systems that are associated with uh, academic teaching uh, institutions tend to be more on the leading edge but not always. And so uh, if that rural uh, North Carolina uh, hospital that's, uh, you know, small, only has a limited number of beds, but if they really have leadership that's really looking to invest um, in precision health and really looking to move upstream into wellness and prevention as well, because, you know, if you look at uh, obesity and diabetes, um, there is an inverse proportion of lower socioeconomic classes, which tend to be in more rural areas. So, you know, if you yeah. do have really innovative leadership around some of these more rural hospital systems, 
um, that would be a tremendous opportunity. And one that, you know, I think from just an overall societal impact, which is certainly a big part of our mission, uh, would have a tremendous impact on those localities. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense um, what you said about the uh, academic um, medical centers is because when you're tied to a medical, you know, to a medical school, they're tracking data and research and training physicians. And so not that the other hospitals that are in you know, rural uh, areas are not interested, but they just have a more propensity to be thinking that way, meaning at the, at the academic level, um, just because they have all these research grants coming in. They're just thinking that way. Uh, so versus, um, so you're looking for ideally clients that would be into that pre preventative health, precision health, as you call it, versus uh, diagnose, medicate, <laughs> treat. Exactly. Right, which is this typical standard, which you shared you know, earlier about going to your physical once a year and then going in when you're sick, right? So uh, very similar, um, you're looking for that, that, that organization that looking to impact uh, through some kind of prevention uh, mechanism and using your platforms uh, to do that. Um, no, that's good. So you're, you're, you're really open to different size networks and institutions. Um, so mostly uh, hospital systems, hospitals per se. Um, we're not looking at medical practices, individual practices with four or five locations that are not necessarily owned by, uh, by the healthcare system. We're looking at basically hospital systems and individual facilities. No nursing homes, no skilled nursing facilities, no assisted living, none of that. Is Not that, yet. Um, so we have scaled down to individual practices. Oh, okay. Um, in some cases, uh, I think generally, again, it has to do with their approach and their leadership. I think generally there's a lot of cost sensitivity in terms of software expenditure for those individual okay. practices. Okay. Um, the one area that seems to be a little different, and it'll be interesting to see how this develops, is the uh, integrative and, met and uh, functional medicine space. So they are kind of non-traditional um, non providers that are looking at typically highly diverse symptoms for patients. So things like Lyme disease is a real common one in the functional medicine space where you can have uh, hundreds of seemingly disconnected symptoms um, causing, or caused by the same underlying disease. So how do you manage to treat that? So we have had some luck there. Um, mm. You know, I think the question is, uh, and, and this will change over time, um, you know, are those practitioners willing to make an investment in software um, to help them, again, with that whole continuum from uh, prevention and wellness all the way to uh, diagnose and treatment, you know, is uh, IT and software, um, do they believe there's a lot of value there or not? So if it's the latter, you know, I don't think we're going to change their minds. Um, but if it's the former, I think there's tremendous opportunity. Again, cloud software is, um, you know, provides a great conduit for that because you're not having to buy, install, implement heavy, heavy software. No, that's good. Um, so the, uh, to, as we wrap this up, um, the decision makers in the healthcare institutions, mm -hmm. who are the ones that are making these kind of decisions? Because we're talking about mm -hmm. implementation across networks, across a hospital. Um, who are you talking to? to share this and, and, and make the, and they make decisions. I know at the hospital level, there's multiple stakeholders, mm -hmm. there's fiefdoms in every, every single corner of that place. We know this uh, because we sell into this area. So, so clearly who's your first entry point to discuss the vision that you have and 
their precision health you know, programs and needs and who, who is that? So typically we'll get in through a visionary high level person that has a medical or science research background. So typically an MD that's a clinician, that's not just an individual contributor, but really somebody that's typically been at the healthcare system for a while uh, and is either running their own clinic or a director of a practice area or something Mm -hmm. like this that really understands the value um, because what we're doing is really transformative. Yeah, it is. And um, so they ha- somebody has to understand the value from both a patient outcome perspective uh, and, and really relate that investment to an outcome. Uh, and then typically, you know, as with, just like you mentioned, I mean, these are large complex organizations. So uh, typically CIOs and CMIOs are involved in the purchase decision. Uh, it has to get prioritized with the, um, the IT department for the actual EMR integration side. Um, some people have a great model in place. They either have a, you know, existing enterprise warehouse or have really pushed their EMR uh, solution to adopt standards like FHIR, F-H-I-R, which is kind of um, a healthcare interoperability standard that most people will, will move to uh, either begrudgingly or voluntarily over time. Uh, that's actually the underlying. So we're very open standards based that kind of underlies all of our cloud platform. Um, so there are a lot of stakeholders that will, uh, will definitely play in this, but again, most of the time we're getting good traction. We have an evangelist that is an MD by training that sees where healthcare is going and kind of has that vision and wants to partner. We're not even four years into this. Um, but we're already starting to see where our brand is getting out there. People understand how we're approaching precision health and how we help organizations really activate it and kind of our, you know, the vision that we've really been trumpeting for the past three and a half, four years. Um, and that's really starting to get that flywheel going. Oh, that's great. Yeah, no, that's good. I'm, I'm happy to be able to share, uh, some of that. Uh, so we're going to go into the, um, the, lightning round questions right now right sure uh, more more stuff about about uh you in particular so uh do uh, you drink coffee i do drink coffee i went through a 20-year period of my life where i did not uh after college but then once we started having kids uh and uh, i think i actually picked it up full-time after we sold a company in 2014 where uh you know i had my day job uh and then my night job was pulling together all the due diligence stuff so it kind of stuck with so hot or cold? Hot. Oh, hot coffee. Okay. Uh, favorite food? I like high-end Southern food. So when you take really nice ingredients, like a really good organic chicken, and you make fried chicken out of it, uh, or you take fresh organic okra and put like a, a bacon jam on top of it, that's my thing. I can't turn oh that down. Oh, my. Uh, uh, burgers? Uh, not often. Um if I eat a burger, again, it's got to be a good one uh, okay. because they're not real good for you. So uh, I won't roll through a fast food restaurant, but once in a while, you know, again, a good grass fed burger with cheese and bacon on it. It's, it's hard to turn down. Ketchup or plain or mustard or mayo? What? Uh, ketchup and mayo usually. Gotcha. Pizza? I love pizza. Okay. Cheese. So cheese and tomato sauce and bread. Like, uh, yeah, works. pretty much. Yeah, that works for me. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, Apple or Android? Uh, Android right now, um, the reason I got an Android phone after years of being an Apple user uh, was actually for our apps. So we were just rolling out an Android version. 
Um, I actually knew several of the executives at a company called Essential uh, Phone, which is now out of business. Um, but you know, between those two things, I thought it was a great opportunity to get the phone. It's a shame they're not around anymore. It's actually a fantastic device. Um, and again, I got to early test a lot of our apps on Android, which I think was helpful. That's great. Laptop or desktop or both? Laptop. 13-inch MacBook for years. Uh, really? Okay. Uh, so if you could um, go anywhere right now, money and time would not be an issue. Where would you go? Right now? Is pandemic an issue or not an issue? Uh, not an issue. Back <laughs> to our normal. Yeah. So we did an amazing family trip last year, um, pre-pandemic to mm -hmm. Switzerland. And I felt right. like we could have spent a lot more time there. So I think we would do Switzerland and Austria again. Uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful area. Mm, that's interesting because it's kind of colder generally in that area. So um, you prefer hot or cold weather? Hot, definitely. Okay. Uh, wristwatch or no? No, I have a band, a fitness band. So I do the Garmin Vivo Sport, but I like something lightweight. But I do, I'm really into the measuring uh, exercise and sleep and uh, resting heart rate and HRV and such. Got you. Yeah, based on the stuff that you do for a living, you're kind of tracking yourself as well. Right. Yes. So, yeah. Good. Uh, uh, books, Kindle, paperback, both. Both a mix. Yeah. Okay. And podcast. Uh, do you listen to podcasts and when do you end up listening to them? I did. Um, so again, everything's kind of changed in the pandemics. I love podcasts. I usually listen to them on my drive to and from work. Um, however, there's not a lot of drive to and from work. Right. This is the uh, third time I've been in my office since March. So it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of an interesting experience. No, actually, so if you had one superpower, now think about this for a minute. You have one superpower that you could be given. What would that superpower be? I think I'd like to live forever. I think there's just so much to do. And in the grand scheme of things, our lives are so short. Wow. Um, but I think that's how I'd roll. Wow, that's great. With my wife. I get, oh. I get to make her live forever, too. And I guess the kids, too. <laughs> Let her see this at the end and make sure you said it at the end of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> said I want to live forever. And uh, oh, with my wife. Uh, exactly, exactly. Uh, and the kids, too. And the dog, if you got one. Dogs or cats or fish? Dogs. I've got a soft spot for Labrador retrievers. So we have that's a wonderful it. chocolate lab. Ah, good for you. So um, that, that said, let's summarize in 30 seconds the uh, you. I summarize um, for the audience the the a Lifeomic uh, platform and you know its value prop uh, to the listeners and what we discussed uh, today. Yeah, I'm actually going to flip that question a little bit, which you might not like, but anyways, I will. And I think you know we spent a lot of today talking about our direct-to-consumer apps, which has been yes. fantastic, right? Yes. Um, millions of people around the world get are making positive behavioral changes around their wellness. We've talked about uh, selling this cloud data aggregation platform and how this can help cure cancer in the, some of the most complex cases. We're taking those two assets and aiming them towards something different going into next year. So we really feel like there's a huge opportunity for, again, this disruption or transformation of our healthcare system uh, through prevention and wellness. Mm -hmm. So there's through the providers themselves and academic research that we've talked about, but there's also employers. So mm -hmm. we're going to be taking the same cloud platform that we sell into these hospital systems, um, the same consumer app, which is you know obviously driving positive behavioral change for millions of people, and combining those two things together into an employee wellness program. So we'll be launching that 
uh, we'll be onboarding pilot customers in Q4 of 2020 uh, and kind of doing a more formal launch uh, at the beginning of the year. So I think it's a really good opportunity to take all of the scientific rigorous learnings of the past three and a half or four years for Lifomic, um, both on the consumer and the provider side, and really help one is drive better employee outcomes. So better, healthier employees. Uh, and then two, also help uh, organizations control their healthcare costs. So um, you're a small business owner, you understand that, or at least a business owner, and I guess not small anymore, um, but understand, I mean, healthcare costs go up dramatically every year. Um, we got to put a cap on that dramatic increase. Sure. And so wellness and prevention is the opportunity there. So I'm super, super excited about our repurposing of existing assets. So that was more than 30 seconds and not the question you answered. But hopefully valuable. <laughs> That's okay. Great job. Uh, thank you so much for, um, for summarizing the conversation. And thank you all to the listeners who uh, will be listening to this uh, afterwards. Uh, we've been talking to Justin Helmick, CMO, Chief uh, Marketing Officer of Life Helmick a great organization trying to change the world uh, around healthcare and wellness and taking care of ourselves and uh, ideally so that we're not going um, to doctor as much and we're more healthier. Um, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, enjoy the conversation. Uh, may 2021 be a blast out banner year for you guys and you have supernatural growth and uh, and that the organization is, is fruitful and multiplies and you meet all of your goals. Well, thank you, Gil. It was a pleasure talking to you. Take care. Likewise.